if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Exodus, Exodus chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 16 of Exodus. All right, now, I mean, it's chapter 14, verses 10 through 16, and the Word of God says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. Now, I want you to underline it. They were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there are no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have, you, why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your, eye, lift up your rod and stretch it out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. This morning, as we're preparing to move, I want to talk to you briefly about going forward. Now, I don't know how many of you all know your history, but on April 21st in 1519, a gentleman by Hernando Cortez landed in Veracruz, Mexico, the bay, unloaded his ships, he had 600 men, and over the next two years, he conquered all of Mexico. He became the conqueror of Mexico, beating Montezuma and the Aztec Empire. Now, here he has 600 men. He's a long way from Spain. He, he's in a strange land. Two previous expeditions had failed, and in two years, he conquers the Aztec Empire. How did he do it? Well, he knew that the road ahead was going to be difficult. He knew that his men were going to get discouraged and want to turn back like the other expeditions. So after he unloaded all of his supplies, after he unloaded all the ships, and he had 11 of them, he had them destroyed. Can you imagine those conquistadors? That's hard for me to say with my speech impediment. You know, these folks that came to conquer stood on the shore and watched their ships totally burn and sink. They had no recourse but to go forward. It was either go forward or die because all behind them, they had no way. It was just, it was the ocean. Well, in the same way, in the text I read this morning, we see God delivering his children, the Hebrews. We see him bringing them to the very point of the Red Sea. We see them looking up. Now, God had already directed them. They had a cloud by day and a fire by night. God had provided for them. But they looked up 
and they saw the Egyptians. And in, ver in, in verse 7, which I didn't read, it said there were 600 chariots, the choice chariots, which means this was the best. This was the elite. These were the true warriors of Egypt. And the people became very afraid. Do you hear what Moses said? And we're going to talk about it in a few minutes. He said, stand still. Now, I'm going to mention this again, and most of you are not going to be able to relate to what I'm going to share using my illustration. And I've learned that I need to pick illustrations that even those of you who are younger can, can relate to. But sometimes there are good old illustrations that fit it better. And so the illustrations... I want to use. They were very afraid. You know what they were doing? They were running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Now, most of y'all never seen a chicken with your head cut off. You just go to the store and get them already wrapped and say, oh, isn't that marvelous? It's how these chickens are born. They're born wrapped, you know. <laughs> but when I was a kid, we used to cut the chickens' heads off, and they'd run all over the yard. They, they really would. And by the way, side note, I'm going to have a couple this morning. Nothing smells worse than a chicken in hot water when you have to pluck the feathers. I really like going to, well, I don't go, go, my wife does this, but she goes and brings these chickens home that are already prepared and everything. Sometimes we, we're so, <laughs> I'm so lazy, we go ahead, you see, I'm, and I get myself in too much water. I, you know, we get them already cooked, so we don't have to do anything. But, so they're running all around, and he says, stand still. And then God says, why, why are you crying to me? What he, over and over and over and over again, God had provided for them. God had made a provision. They saw the miraculous. They, they saw the judgment of God fall on the firstborn of Egypt. And yet, they're crying, they're afraid, they're running around. And God says, why are you crying to me? You know, Moses just said, stand still. And the Egyptians you see today, you'll see no more forever. And then God tells Moses, lift up your rod over the Red Sea. The sea's going to part. And the people of Israel are going to walk across in dry, on dry land. And God says, go forward. Well, the reason I chose this text today, this is our last day here. And God is telling this church, East Campus of Cross Life, go forward. But certain things have to happen in order for us to go forward. The first thing that you, has to happen, I hope it's up here, is you've got to forget the past. You've you got to forget that which lays behind. See, when they were crying, when they were upset, when they were running around like chickens with their heads cut off, they had forgotten that they were slaves in Egypt. They, they had cried out to God for over 80-something years to be delivered. They really cried out to God for longer than that. They forgot that they were slaves. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back in the, in the, the Egypt? Uh, they had forgotten their children being murdered before they could even be born. Y'all remember what I mean? Pharaoh and the Egyptians were so afraid that because... God was blessed them, they were multiplied, that he said, any male child, tell the midwives to go ahead and kill him. They'd forgotten that. They, they'd forgotten that they had to 
makes bricks without straw. They, they had forgotten God's provision for them. They had forgotten the plagues. They had forgotten the day that they came out of Egypt rejoicing and singing songs and praising God. They forgot all that. All they could see was the Egyptians. Now, this morning, we got a hard task in front. We got we we to clean everything out. We got to load everything. It's going to be some hard work. But let me ask you a question. When have God's people ever been afraid of hard work? I had the privilege years ago in Georgia of being the coordinator for a huge crusade, countywide crusade with all the churches in the county and some of the churches out of the county want to be part of it. And I remember us using a football stadium that was kind of a little dilapidated because it was in the old high school before they built the new high school. And I remember that we uh, had to do a lot of things in order to have that crusade. They had just put down a new track, so they didn't want us to use the uh, stadium. And I think I shared that with you previously. And uh, because it was new, I said, that's no problem. You all see these rugs up here? We took rugs like this even. We took remnants. Anybody know what a remnant is? Let's say, somebody put, let's say you put carpet in your house, and you're going to have remnants. And let's say you have some old carpet. Well, we, we happen to have a guy in one of our churches that owned this, bur, this huge carpet business. And we asked him, do you have any remnants? He said, I got more remnants than I know what to do with. He brought all of his remnants, and we covered that track. It's the only track in Gwinnett County that was carpeted. We took all their dusty and, and dirty stadium seats, and we painted them. We spruced up all the area around. When we left after the crusade, by the way, when hundreds of people were saved, I remember the principal calling and said, anytime you want to use our school, you use it. You all were like a bunch of ants. Said it's in the best condition it's been in years. Our people worked hard. And you've worked hard. I've been here now since... The first part of February. I've come every week trying to be faithful. And I've seen you set up. I get here when you, some of you all setting up, but they're in the process of setting up. You're doing things. I see signs being put out. I see you tear down. You know, I've never heard one complaint. Not one. So I know God's great, got great things for this church. Because you always showed that the labor that you labor is a labor of love. But we got to forget this place. we got to move forward. And, and, and we, so not only do we need to forget the past, we need to function in the present. In the present. God told him, go forward. He said, forget all that stuff down, back there in Egypt. You know, you go forward. You move forward. We, we, got, we got to function in the present. We got to function in what we need to do. Now, I've not seen the new location. But I've talked to people who have, and, and they, they share with me how much better it's going to be. Now, I know, because as I drove by it this morning, I know it's 
It's, it's not like you got spaces. It's one big building. So what's that mean? Well, how many of you were here last week? How many of you all got wet in that rain? How many of you saw some of those people sprinkled and dunked at the same time? It was a little miserable. It was a little cool. Now, you all didn't see the other baptism. I've written that down. That This is my blue lip, blue lip baptism because my lips turned blue. But thank you for us using your pool. It was a lot of fun. But it was, a, it was you know, you saw those people get in the pool we had here. <laughs> and they went, <laughs> you should have saw the one in the afternoon. <laughs> I thought I had palsy. It was cold. But you know what? Those people started getting baptized. It got warm. It really did. Because the glory of the Lord was on that place. The Shekinah glory. But change is difficult. But we got to live in the present. We, we, we got to function in the here and now. We've got to do what needs to be done. Now, I don't know what changes we'll have to make in that new building. We're going to have to adapt some things. Some of us may be a little inconvenient. You know, I don't think we will that much. They, they tell me that the stage is a little different. Now, here's my, here's my greatest fear. I don't know if that stage is going to be higher or lower. Praise God if it's lower. God protect me if it's higher. But we we got we got we got to adapt. But we got we got to live in the here and now. We have to get what lays you know in the past. We got to function in the present. Now I, I trust the folks that tell me it's going to be better, but I trust God. How many of y'all know that God was not surprised that they're going to renovate this school? How many of y'all know that God knew how long we'd be here? We've been here what? Somebody help me. Four years? Yeah, you all been here four years, I think. You know? How, do you all remember me sharing with you from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, the paraphrase, God does not always give you what you ask for. He usually gives you something better. And in my conversations with Dr. Mercer and with some other folks that I know, they said when the concept of starting the satellite campus of Cross Life, the school that they wanted was Columbia. That's one they really wanted, but it wasn't available. <laughs> now, God's got us used to being the East Campus. God has got us used to setting up and tearing down. God has got us used to uh, this kind of location. Now, he gives us the campus we wanted in the first place. Isn't God good? And when does, he, when does he give you that which he desires for you? He gives you it in his timing and not your timing. You know, these are lessons that you have to learn living in the present. I remember when my wife and I were young, which was just yesterday. <laughs> and I was, I, was a, I was a layman doing youth ministry. We didn't have a youth pastor, so it was all lead laid, uh, lay lead. We'll get it right. And, and the ministry was growing. And my wife and I had our second home, nice home, three bedrooms, 
two bass, really nice. But it got where when we had the youth over, which we had all the time, it just wasn't functional. So I, 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 my wife and I talked about it, and I, I really felt that God wanted us to sell our house so we could grow that youth ministry even larger. So I put my house up for sale. I really felt that's what God wanted me to do. And we went out, and we, and we sat down. i never forget. We sat down at our kitchen table, and we drew out exactly what we thought we needed. And we went out, and we found a house. Didn't quite measure up, but it was close. So we, and they, I said, you can't do this. But we, we put a contract on it, a first right of refusal. You all know what a first right, that's where you sign a contract to house, subject to your house selling, and you can't close the deal till your house sells, but you had the first right of refusal. And so we had a contract in this house for about two months. My house didn't sell, and I get a phone call. And they said, there's another buyer. Do you want to go ahead and excise basically your option? I said, I can't. You notice I got my hand in my pocket. And uh, so we had to let the house go. So we got, and we went out, and we found another house. First right of, you know, our house didn't sell. We had to let the option go. Make a long story short, we, we signed seven contracts. Yeah. I'm from Missouri, if you all don't know. I'm stubborn. Anyway, make a, make a story, long story short, none of the houses made you up. They were all close. And so Dorothy and I sat down and talked, and I said, honey, we, we, you know, we're going to be like Paul. We're going to be content with it, whatever we have. And apparently God does not want us to move. And we've only, got, we've only got three or four more weeks on our contract with the real estate agent. And I says, I'm going to let it go. And then we're just not going to put the house up for sale. And she agreed. And so I, 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 I apologize to God for, for being presumptuous. Two weeks later, guess what? My house sold. And I didn't have any other contracts. And I had to be out because there was a couple from California who bought my house, and they needed immediate occupancy. I got two weeks. Otherwise, I'm going to be homeless. Those and I jumped in the car on an Easter Sunday. And we looked everywhere, but we, there's one subdivision that we didn't look at because we couldn't afford that subdivision. But I told Dorothy, let's go in and just look. And we went in, and we found this house. And it was like God had been listening to us, which he was. It met every criteria. It was twice the size of the house we had. It had a huge family room. And then off the family room, there's a little hallway <laughs> with a half bath. And then you pass through that hallway. And then there was a big, huge 20 by 20 rec room with an outside entrance. It was perfect. But there was a problem. And I have a reason for telling you all this. The problem was we couldn't afford it. There's no way we could afford it. Guy next door owned a couple of Dunkin' Donuts. The guy across the street was the uh, banker at the local bank. Folks, we were in a neighborhood that was, we call where I come from, Missouri, high cotton. But I told Dorothy, I said, this is the house God wants us to have. So we went back, we figured everything we can, we could. I put a contract on, 
The lady looked at it and says, this is an insult. It's $25,000 below the appraised value. And he's going to get more than the appraised value for this. I said, well, that's all I can afford. She says, well, I got to submit it. He, she submits it. Now, the, the, other fella, the fella that owned this was a big high muckamuck. Y'all know what a high muckamuck is? He's a big high muckamuck in this company, and he got transferred to Houston for, for a year to straighten out one of their offices. And he did such a good job, he had just got the word that Friday when I submitted my contract that they were going to keep him down there. He wasn't coming back. And he had rented his house for a year, and they would tore it up a little bit. And he got pictures of his house where they, the people that he had made move because he thought he was coming back had, had, had messed it up a little bit. Nothing other than just cosmetic stuff that I had to replace, like cabinets where they tore the doors off and other things. On Monday, I got word that he accepted my contract. At my price. It took us about 30 days to get it. And, you know, we, we lived someplace else for a little while. And some of my friends from my folks, if you're not a member of a church, and if you're not a member of a small group, you better get, get become a member of a church in a small group. Because my small group came, and they worked like little beavers. And all it cost me was material. And we put the house in tremendous shape. And I got this house for $55,000. And lived there seven years and sold it for 125. Boom! <laughs> and here's the rest of the story. I was doing all kinds of disciple nows. I was doing all kinds of things, having kids in and everything. And then God called me in the ministry. <laughs> and all those kids had grown up. And my salary went from here to there. <laughs> you know how many weddings I did? I married all those young people. That's how I was able to make the transition. Isn't God good? Now, I'm saying this, we got to live in the presence. And God knew we were going to be moving. And God has already made the provision for us. There's some things we're going to have to change. There's some things that may not be exactly the way we like it. But I think God's in this move. So we've got to forget the past. We've got to function in the present. But folks, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to focus on the priorities. God said, go forward. What was, the, what was the Israelites' priority? To cross the Red Sea. Now, I'm going to chase another little rabbit. It won't be as long as the house, but I'm going to chase another little rabbit. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but years ago, there's some folks, some Bible scholars that came up with the concept that <laughs> it was a mistranslation, the Red Sea, it was really the Reed Sea. Because, you know, people are always trying to explain the miracles of God. They're always trying to, to say, well, no, this is impossible. Because they, they don't. God does the impossible. Do you all not know that? God does the impossible. <laughs> if it's not impossible, we can do it. He does the impossible. And so the Reed Sea is just a, a foot, foot and a half deep. It's a, more of a marsh. That kind of upset me. You know, it always upsets me when people want to deny that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Folks, if God wants you to be swallowed by a little minnow, you're going to be swallowed by a little minnow, okay? I have no problem with that. I have no problem with the, the virgin birth. I have no problem with that. But I got thinking about that, and I thought, praise God. Now, think about this. They're saying it was a mistranslation. It was not the Red Sea. 
It was the Reed Sea where they can go across. You know what that means? That means all those Egyptians and all those chariots drowned in a foot of water. <laughs> Woo! That's even a greater miracle. Right? Think about that. So we need to focus. We need to focus on priorities. And what are our priorities? Well, to move. That's one priority. But ladies and gentlemen, stop and think. I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing this. I know y'all <laughs> going to think this is funny, but I do think. What has happened over the last several weeks? We've seen the miracles of God. What miracles have we seen, Brother Herb? Well, let's see. What has God done for East Campus over the last few weeks? Well, we've seen people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Every time an individual receives Christ and you have the opportunity, you're seeing a miracle of God of a birthing into heaven. Folks, those are miracles. So we've seen people come to know Christ. <laughs> we've seen people get baptized. Y'all know that? Nine people last week got baptized. Praise. Folks, if you don't get excited about that, your word's wet. I had a long conversation with a gentleman last night, sharing the gospel with him. and He's from an Egyptian background. We won't, we won't go into all that. Really tremendous young man. And he was sharing with me that he received the Holy Spirit when he was 40 days old, when he was placed in the water. You know, God always gives you a great illustration. I said, well, you know, that's funny. I baptized nine people, and all of the, I didn't have to put any of them in the water. Did any of you all see me lift any of those folks? Anybody see me grab them, you know? I grabbed them like this. <laughs> that's, that's Greek for I put them in the water, you know, put them under the water. Everybody got into the water on their own accord. They stepped down into the water because they had made a decision. And whose decision was it? It was their decision. So we've seen people baptized. We've seen people saved. We've seen people come and join the church. That's exciting. That's the priority of this church. Our priority is to be used of God to build the kingdom of God. So I, I want to encourage you, continue to be a 7-Eleven church. And those of you who don't know what a 7-Eleven church is, those of you making co the commitment, I hope you're fulfilling it. You know, I, I, don't, I don't do inspection. I don't look over your shoulder. That's between you and God. But I'm hoping that you're putting tracks out on a table when you go to a restaurant. With what kind of tip? A big, come on, come on, big tip. Don't, don't, don't put a track down and give them a, the waitress a dollar on a $30, $30 check. That's an insult. And they'll say, well, I don't want to go to that church. Look, those folks are a bunch of cheapies, you know. Invite people to come to church. That's important. So that's a priority. A priority is to continue to see East Campus grow. Another priority that we ought to have is how many of y'all know that God knows the beginning and the end? Okay. How many of y'all know that God is already preparing a pastor? I don't know who he is. I don't know, you know, 
a pastor to take this church to the next level. How many of y'all know that he'll have skills and he'll have concepts and, he, and he'll have things that God lays on his heart that I and pastors before me have not had? So what is one of our priorities? One of our priorities has got to be, and I hope you've already been, to pray for the man that God is going to send you. He's going to send you, you know, he's going to send you his man. Now, you have to remember, that whoever he sends here to, to pastor this church has already been called by him. Who chose the apostles? Come on. God did. Jesus did. Right? Now, I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to trick you. Jesus did. Who chooses pastors to lead his churches? The Lord does. Yeah. Folks, it's not a job. It's a calling. The farthest thing from my mind, with my speech impediment, my crazy sense of humor, was ever being a pastor. I was happy. I was very successful. My life was going, and I was meeting the goals. In fact, I almost met all my goals that I'd set for myself as a young man. I'm 39 years old. Be 40 in a few weeks. And I go to church one Sunday night. Happy as a bug in a rug. Farthest thing from my mind was being a pastor. I'm in a service. Arthur Blessed is preaching. I don't know how many of y'all know who Arthur Blessed was, but he was the gentleman that carried the cross all across the world. And he was coming through our town, and Dr. Carl Marshall, my pastor, had done some ministry with him in Daytona. And he found out he was coming, so he invited him to preach on our Sunday service. I didn't know who he was. I showed up. All I know is Dr. Mer Dr. Marshall introduced him, and he's got up there in the pulpit. Don't ask me what he preached, because I don't remember. All I know is when he gave an altar car, I felt compelled to go to the altar. And I knelt at the altar, and I said, God, I'm tired of fighting. If there's something you want me to do, I'll do it. But you know, Lord, and I, this way I pray, folks. I just talk to God. That's all prayer is. I said, God, I'm from Missouri, like you didn't know. And I said, you got to show me. You have got to show me. And I got up, walked to my seat, got halfway down. Arthur Blessed stopped the service. And there's 40, 50 people up there. And I didn't know my wife was up there, and she's praying, Lord, there's something that you want her to do. Show him. I'll never forget this. 
Folks, I'm not saying look at her, but I'm just wanting to get a concept. So you all get behind your new pastor. Because if he's a God-called pastor, he's, God has called him for such a time as this to lead you to the next level. So he stops the service. And he says, there's a man here who's 39 and 40. God's been dealing with him sometime tonight. He wants him to surrender to full-time service. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, <laughs> you don't have to hit me over the head with a sledgehammer. And here's all these people. And he starts away and says, what's your decision? What's your decision? What's your decision? What's your decision? And he finally gets over to me, and I'm halfway up the aisle, and he says, what's your decision? And I'm going, <laughs> I couldn't talk. And my pastor says, he gets like this sometimes. <laughs> and my pastor said later, Arthur said, shh, he's the one. And then I said, I'm the one. Folks, that was in October. In January, I'm in seminary. Now, I share that to tell you, don't look at Brother Herb. You talk to any pastor who's been called, they have a similar story where God reached down from heaven, laid on their heart, and he called them into full-time service. So, and this is what I want to get across to you. I'm trying to help you understand this. You're, we're not hiring a pastor. I've served several, I have never been a hireling. The day I become a hireling, that you hire me, I'm going to quit. Because this is not a job. It's not a profession. It's a calling. And God calls men and women in the ministry. He calls men to pastor churches under his direction to grow them and to grow his people and to guard his people. And so God has already called this man that you're going to get. I don't know who he is. How many of you all believe that God knows who he is? How many of you all know that God's already laying on his heart where he's at that he's got to move? And, you know, I have moved several times. You know, I never wanted to move. Never. I'm a mountain boy. I was raised in the Rockies. I don't like sand. <laughs> I don't. Everybody said, boy, when you get to Florida, it's flat. You're going to hit the ball farther. No, I didn't. Because up there, the air is lighter and the ball goes farther. Here, it hits sand and poof. I lost 50 yards on my drive. I didn't want to come to Florida. I'm serious. But folks, it's not what I want. It's not what you want. It's what God wants. And so hopefully you're praying for the man that God's going to send you. And every one of y'all will get behind him. Now, I hope you're going to miss me. I hope I got another six months here. I don't know. I cry a lot. <laughs> but this I know. Because I was in Lilburn, First Baptist Church of Lilburn, Georgia, 20 years. I came there, still wet from the baptistry. I moved there shortly after becoming a Christian at Briar Lake Baptist Church. First Baptist Lilburn was the first church I really was a member of. It was the first pastor I ever knew. And in the 20 years that I was there, as a layman and later on as a pastor, I served under 10 
different ministers. And I want you to know I loved every one of them. I supported every one of them. I didn't like what every one of them did, but I supported them. Because I thought we need to go this way, and they thought we need to go that way. And so if there's a, you know, if you want to go this way and your pastor wants to go this way, you guys better get with your pastor. Let me tell you why. We got to function on, we got to focus on the priorities. Here's what I learned as a layman. We decided to build two education buildings in First Baptist Lilburn at the same time. I was, I was still a businessman. I was on, I was on part of the, some of the committees. It was a big deal for us to build these two three-story education buildings at the same time, but the pastor led us to do it. And guess what? We ran out of money. So we had a meeting. We had enough money to put the elevators in the building or to pave the parking lot. And the pastor sat there. I'll never forget. He sat there. And we going back and forth. Part of us wanted to pave the parking lot. Part of us wanted the elevators. And we finally asked our pastor, Pastor, what would you do? And here's what he said. i never forget this. He said, I don't have a dog in this hunt, so whatever you all decide is fine with me. But if you're asking my opinion, I'd put in the elevators and put crushed rock on the parking lot. Guess what side I was on? I wanted the, I wanted the parking lot paved. And so we discussed it and we voted. And guess what we decided to pave the parking lot? And we did. It bothered me. So about a week or so later, I called Dr. Marshall, and I said, can I take you to lunch? He said, sure. So I took off from my work and took him to lunch. I said, it's bothered me, Pastor, because I normally don't, you know, but we really needed that paved parking lot. Why did you say put in the elevators? Because my concept, who uses elevators? Old people. I'm in my 30s. I'm not, I don't need the elevator. And here's what Dr. Marshall told me. He said, Herb, if we put in the elevator and put crushed rock on the parking lot, all those wives in their high heels getting out of the car after three or four Sundays walking on that crushed rock would start putting in their husband's ear, we'd have a special offering, and we'd got both of them. <laughs> Folks, that's godly wisdom. You know how long it took us to get... Those two elevators? About seven years. And you know how we got them? A gentleman who worked for the Waffle House, who was in high management, who was their bookkeeper, died. He was an invalid. And he bequeathed in his will, 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 and left enough money for the churches, for the church to build, put in those two elevators. And we have a plaque on the both of Given in honor of so-and-so and so-and-so. Now, you know, we, you know when I really knew we made a mistake? With a bunch of other young bucks who had muscles at the time, didn't have all this hanging down stuff, we had to carry pianos up three flights of stairs to the top floor because we had designed the top floor for the kids so the senior adults could have the bottom and the medium dots could have the middle. Folks, do you know how hard it is to carry pianos up a narrow stairway? And I'm saying, we should have put it in the elevators. We should have put it in the elevators. Now, I share this with you, not just to be funny, but to tell you 
God calls pastors to lead the church. They're not infallible. They make mistakes. But you love your pastor. You honor your pastor. And you follow your pastor. And if, if, he, if he does something that God wants to chastise him for, I'm going to tell you something. God can chastise him much better than any of y'all sitting in the pew. I hope you understand that. So, let's forget the past. Let's function in the present. Let's get everything moved. Let's make this spick and spin. Let's let this call us at any time you want to use the school, you can use it because, man, I never, we never see anything done like you all done because you're a bunch of ants. And focus on the priority. The priority is to reach people for Jesus, go to this campus, and for you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior under the leadership of the pastor. Last thing I want to say. Y'all remember when God, Jesus, the captain of hosts, appeared to Joshua? And he says, here's the plan to take Jericho. Now, the plan didn't make sense. You remember the plan? The tribes of Israel, for six days in a row, in silence, walked around Jericho. On the seventh day, they walked around seven times. And on the seventh time, they all shouted, and the shafars blowed. The shafars are the Israelite horns, and they, they sound something like that. And guess what? The walls came tumbling down. <laughs> Here's the secret. If you read that account, and read it this afternoon, it said they all went out. Nobody stayed in camp. They all went out. Here's what I want to say. If you're going to grow this church, it's going to take every one of you. You can't let somebody else do it. We all got to get involved. We all got to go forward. We all got to be out there working to build this church. Last thing I'm going to say really is. If you all do that, in, the, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible said, and I'm going to paraphrase it, let's not get weary in well-doing, because if we faint not in due season, that's God's timetable. We will reap. What will we reap? We'll reap a harvest. 25 years ago, Dr. Mercer came to First Baptist Oviedo. They'd had a terrible split. They hadn't had a full-time pastor in two and a half years because pastors didn't want to come and pastor that church because of its history. Dr. Mercer came. 500 people. Today, it runs in the thousands. You have yet to see what God's going to do through you to build this church. And those of you who are young, 20 years from now, you're going to say, I remember when Brother Herb preached, go forward, and didn't fall off the stage. <laughs> You've been here. So, here's what it starts, though. If you're here, if you're one of our guests, we're glad that you're here. If you're here and you don't know for sure if you died right now, you go to heaven. Then I'm going to pray in a few minutes a commitment prayer for you to receive Christ. 
But we want everybody to fill out one of these welcome cards to East Campus. And fill out your name, please print. <laughs> when I write real fast, you can read my name. Please print. Please, please put down your telephone number. Now, if you don't want to put your birthday down, that's fine. I don't care how old you are. God knows. But I would like to know if you're a child, because <laughs> it's very embarrassing for me to show up at a house and parents say, what you doing here? You know, <laughs> I come see your child. What are you, some kind of pervert? You know, we got to be careful about that. <laughs> put your email down. Please put your address down. And then on the back, it says, my decision today. I have decided to surrender my life to Christ and begin a personal relationship with him. If you prayed the prayer with me, mark that. I'd like to have more information about starting a personal relationship with Christ. If you don't know about praying, but you want to know more, check that. I'd like to be baptized. <laughs> Folks, it's getting warmer so your lips won't turn blue, okay? Check that. I'm interested in joining the church. Check that. I'd like a visit from a minister. Folks, check that, and guess what? I'll be there tomorrow night. Anyway, if there's something God spoke to you as I spoke his word today, write that down. Has, how has this message affected you today? I, I'd, I'd appreciate that. All preachers are paranoid. I wonder if I did okay. And then the prayer request. If you have a prayer request, and please print, or write very legibly, very slow, just put what it is, because I promise you they are prayed for. And several people have said, Herb, you don't have to send me a note every week, so I'm not doing that every week, but I'm sending notes to folks that, that have a specific prayer request I feel need a note, okay? So pray with me, <laughs> and then get ready to work. By the way, we are having pizza and soda, but we're not going to all go out and eat pizzas and soda and have a little fellowship and then start working. No, we're going to start working. That's there. As you go by, grab your slice of pizza, but keep working, okay? And don't think bad of me. I've already told all the folks to explain this to you. When I'm done, I'm done, and I'm leaving before somebody can hit me on the shoulder, Dan. No, Dan's a good guy. Because you, you don't want to see a man my age cry and go to his knees. Because once I get to my knees, I can't get up. So let's, let's pray. Pray with me. Thank you for letting me speak to you this morning. And I pray God has touched your heart. Because every pastor's desire, every pastor's desire, is see his people grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior and see the people that he leads make a difference for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing me to be here today. Thank you for these, your children. Thank you, Father, for giving me the privilege of, of, of pastoring. And Lord, help me to be faithful as long as I'm here. Lord, I pray and I ask you, Father, to grow them in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help them, Father, to love one another. Lord, none of us are perfect, and all of us are imperfect. But, Lord, let us not see our imperfections. But, Lord, let us see each of us as a child of God. Now, Lord, if there's anyone here today, that they drop dead right now, right this moment, and they don't know for absolute certainty that they go to heaven, Lord, I pray they pray with me now to receive you as their Lord and Savior. If you've never prayed a prayer like this or you can't remember, pray this with me now. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is your son. And he died for me on the cross. 
So Jesus, right now, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to you. And I will follow you all days of my life. Thank you for saving me. And make me the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name.